have you used your new fancy pantsy iPad as a, uh, what's it called? What's it called, Daniel? Sidecar? Sidecar. Have you used Sidecar with it? I have not used Sidecar with it. Mm. My laptop display is so big. What am I going to use that for? I've already got a 16-inch screen. Do they make an attachment where you can like strap it to the top of your oh, good man. thing? And then you, I could hope side, so. you could sidecar it like up that, here. That would be ideal. <laughs> I'd, I'd be in for that. Do it. Do it. I am kind of bummed. I never really thought to do it on the old laptop though. Because on the 13 inch, that could have, even with the iPad mini. That would have been know? interesting. I mean, you could, well, you you're you don't have a new enough iPad. I don't like, even, even own on a thir- iPad. Even on a 13-inch, it's like you could put up notes or something next yeah. to it. And, yeah, it's, could work. it's a pretty cool deal, and I think the sidecar actually works really good. You're using it as a display, but then also even just using it as like an extra whatever computer. Yeah, yeah. I needed to play with it. I, honestly, I've never used it, so maybe it's way better than I think it is. It's just going to change your life. Yeah. You're going to be over here sidecarring with your 16-inch MacBook mm-hmm. Pro and your fancy pants iPad. I should have gotten the 12.9-inch. Oh. Imagine all that screen real estate. It would have just been so much. Yeah. It would have been like having an extra 13-inch MacBook Pro, Yeah, but not 13 inches. <laughs> 12.9 inches. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we'll see. I'll probably try it eventually. All right. You so got some, got some coffee going there? Yeah, man. I'm, I've, I'm strategically bringing this mug with me as my warm coffee transportation vehicle. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's a new technology I've discovered. Uh. <laughs> it's called... Um, insulation oh, yeah. <laughs> i need like a like a mug so i'm not on our uh coaster yeah, you need something because that's a problem there's a coaster over there on the table just leave all this in yeah all, all those knocks and stuff the only yeah. thing better is when you start adjusting your uh your stand that's that's always good it's my favorite surprise you don't leave that in yeah i probably should i watched the movie elvis is that a movie I, we talked about this and i think i said the same thing i didn't know that was a movie but I guess it's we talked about this. I think you said the name at some point. Okay, in the past. it is. Uh, it was nominated for some Oscars. Okay. It is by let's see if it's over Baz Luhrmann. Is that his name? That sounds made up. Elvis Baz Search. Oh my gosh! Why is this not coming up immediately? Yeah, L U H R M A N. Why is it hard to search a movie named Elvis? Imagine that. <laughs> I'm right. It is Baz Luhrmann. Okay, this guy did such movies as Moulin Rouge. And The Great Gatsby. Okay. And it was nominated for uh, an Oscar for cinematography. And I'm like, this is a Tom Cruise movie about Elvis, where Tom Cruise doesn't play Elvis. He plays his, whatever, manager. Yeah. And then Aaron Butler plays Elvis. Come on. Like, really? Cinematography? I watched it, and that movie is insane. It's absolutely insane. Did it live up to the hype? Like, is it, was it good that it got that, uh... I didn't expect the first five minutes to make me dizzy. (laughs) I think someone on Letterboxd described it as a uh, three-hour trailer for a movie. Weird. So is this like a little bit too hyper? Oh, my gosh. I don't think the camera stopped moving once. That movie's like two hours and 40 minutes, and it's like, oh, we're now on the street, and now we're flying through the air and going through a window, and now we're going to like superimpose like three different scenes next to each other like like it's a music video. Weird. That, there that was seems like strange. there was so much like now we're shooting overhead now we're shooting this way and now we're like removing the camera there were so many camera movements and like wild floating flying you know things and then for the first whatever 15 minutes of the movie it was like Elvis has like your current storyline and then Elvis as a kid and they kept like super cutting but like smash cutting between these two things and like playing those stories in parallel to try like you know draw those lines together and I was having trouble keeping track of the timeline and I'm like this is the craziest movie I've ever seen. And I've seen RRRR. <laughs> Recently. Recently. It was, this movie was nuts. 
And it was it was the it was the movie equivalent of like Elvis Elvis's shiny jacket. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were going for. But did you feel like it worked? Yeah, no, it totally worked for exactly what they were going for. It okay. was just so flashy, huh. and there was so much like camera work. It was impressive, huh. and I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, nominate this for an Oscar for cinematography, 100%. The editing must have been a pretty involved process for that as well. It definitely definitely had to be. I don't know. Like, whenever we talked about the Oscars, what, forever ago, whenever it was happening, and I was complaining about, like, Batman not getting nominated at all for cinematography. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's still a problem. This got nominated. Like, fine, it didn't win, but also quite on the Western Front one, and I think that's stupid. I mean, now that I've seen both of these movies... This one impressed me more. Interesting. As far as cinematography huh. and everything else. I didn't like all <laughs> like that <other> movie. <laughs> cinematography and everything else. Yeah. Anyways, that's my little, you know, I guess movie corner. Is this now another corner? Can, we, can I have I two mean, segments? How, how many corners can we have? Well, we have the uh, we have the, the the legendary lens segment. And then um I feel like this is probably the seventh time I've brought up movies on this podcast. I think that's probably about right. I'm all just right. gonna call this Lucas's movie corner now. Sounds good. Two corners. Yep, now I have two corners. We, we will have a room one of these days. But first, we'll have a triangle. <laughs> okay, that's it. This has been Lucas's Movie Corner. Play the outro music. Don't, don't, don't tell me you a good time. <laughs> that's it, right? That's what you wanted? All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, jeez, yep. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's do the real show. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. So we talked about the ZV-1 a couple weeks ago. Yep, sure did. That camera is something. Yep. Okay, whenever we were talking about that camera, I said during that episode, man, maybe we need to like make a list or something of all, like, all the lenses that could potentially be used with this. Because part of the conversation was like, this, this camera is toiny it's like itty bitty it's like a micro four third camera and you're not going to go out there and put i don't know a 24 to 70 f 2.8 on there yeah it'd be huge because that that like that g master sony 24 to 70 is one it's like 2200 so you're doubling the cost of your camera it weighs one and a half pounds and it's huge it's like yeah. four and a half inches long and so i don't really see you know putting that on this camera because like the lens weighs almost twice as much as the camera. It kind of feels like the R50 problem where Canon came out the R50 and it's a good looking camera and it could apply to some of their other lineup too, like the R10. And they came out these cameras that look really good, but you immediately ask like, well, what lens would you actually use with this? What would actually make sense on there? And for yep. Canon, there's not really an answer. So I'm curious if you did come up with an answer. For I, I did come up with an answer. But yeah, for that Canon one, I mean, they released some APS-C lenses for it, but all of them are like, started like F5 or something. It's yeah. just, they went too far on the cheap end and it doesn't feel like there's any good options for those yeah. cameras. Whereas this one, I gave myself a pretty strict guideline and I came up with a list of 10 ideal lenses for well, the ZVE one. Well, that's because Sony has about 600 lenses you can buy. I mean, I think like I think I went on to B&H and I was like, okay, I want zooms and I want Sony E-mount that covers full frame. And it's like, all right, here's 131 options. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. for some of them, it was like, here's this lens and here's this lens again with a filter and here's this lens with a filter and a bag. Sure, sure. But even, even still, a lot of great options. So what'd you come up with? Okay, so the ZVE one is 483 grams. Which is like a poundish, right? Yeah, it's right around there. And then the camera is about four point seven inches wide. 
and it's like two or so inches deep and that's with the grip. The lens coming past the grip is fine. So like, you know, somewhere between two inches and to me, the camera being a square, like taking up a, a square space kind of makes sense as far as like, is that lens too long for that camera? Does it look right? Does it feel right? Is it off balance? It's at least like a reasonable place to start. Yeah. So I'm thinking like if this camera is 4.7 inches wide, I don't want the lens to be longer than four and a half inches okay. at most. Okay. I can see that. Try to keep it around the same way as the camera. Try to keep it under four-ish inches. Then also it's a full frame camera. Looking for full frame coverage. Yeah. So none of the APS-C lenses. And uh, lastly, I don't want it to cost more than the camera, which was twenty two hundred dollars. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a hard pill to swallow. We already feel like it's an expensive camera, so if the lens is adding another twenty two hundred dollars, mm-hmm. it's probably too much. So I'm trying to keep the price, you know, thousand bucks or less, that range, somewhere yeah. a little more. So okay. I built a top ten list, and I'm gonna go through from uh, ten to one. One being what I think is the best lens for this camera. Oh, man. Going listicle style on this. Yeah, dude. All okay. Right. Well, what's All number right. 10? I need to get your feedback on each of these. Okay. All right. So number 10 is a prime. And we talked about how the ZV-E1 can zoom into 1.5. This is a Sigma 20 millimeter F2 prime lens. It costs 700 bucks. It's 370 grams. And it's three inches long with a 62 millimeter filter thread. That's pretty good. So pretty small, pretty compact. You know, not that long. Pretty cheap, f2, and you can zoom it into 30 millimeter if you need uh, to. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go wrong with something like that. You you definitely want to have that wide aperture, and I do think the zoom is a big factor here. I think that I think I mentioned that when we talked about the ZVE one that that could make a prime a more viable option than it would be on another camera. So I, I could see that. I think it makes sense. My number nine is basically the same lens, but from Sony. It's the 20 millimeter 1.8 G lens, which is $900, so it's $200 more but you're getting it a little faster and it's Sony brand. It's also a little bigger, right? It's 67 millimeter diameter filter thread. So a little bigger, not too bad. It's still about three inches long. So either one of those, that's kind of my, like my 910. The reason these are at the bottom of the list is because a 20 millimeter prime on full frame, you're starting to get a little distorty, mm, right? Okay. And even if you're zooming in, you're zooming into 30 millimeter, I think that you still have to deal with the, you know, wide distortion of that lens. Yeah. And that's just kind of like, I didn't do like full reviews on these two specifically, but that's what I would expect out of a cheaper 20 millimeter lens. And maybe you want to go to 24 if you're trying to get something that's you know more rectilinear. Yeah. So that's why I put these on the bottom of my okay. list, even zoomed in. I'm necessarily don't want to be that wide. It's like you really need to be that wide. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Which is why my number eight is a 24 millimeter 1.4 G Master. This one's one of the more expensive lenses on the list. It's also 67 millimeter filter thread, kind of heavy, 445, but still lighter than the camera. Three inches long and $1,400. Yeah, that one's a little bit of a harder sell because of the price and the weight. I mean, it's doubling the weight of your setup, but it is a G Master lens. So you know it's going to be really high quality, probably going to be really sharp and all that. So I don't know. I, I think the price is really what gives me pause on that one. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and, and it's a prime, right? Maybe you don't have the flexibility of a zoom. The ZV-E1 is a grab it and go type camera. Yeah, Probably going to be leaning towards zooms up around this list, which is why we're seeing primes mm-hmm. at the bottom. And uh, as far as the weight for that one, um, which was number eight, you know, 445 grams isn't crazy. Yeah, There's it's about a, about a pound. It's not the heaviest lens on this list. Certain, yeah, I'm sure it's not. All right, which number seven? Number seven and number six are basically the same lens from two different manufacturers. We have the Sigma 16 to 28 f2.8 coming in at 900 bucks. And then we have the Tamron 17 to 28 coming in at $800. So basically the same focal length. The Sigma is a smidge wider and also $100 more expensive. So one millimeter is $100. Huh. 
and they're both basically the same size. One's a 67 thread, one's a 72 thread, but they're basically four inches long. So I think that these are, could you could interpret it as either the Tamron or the Sigma of the same lens. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's interesting because those are both third-party lenses, but otherwise pretty similar specs. It looks like the Sigma is a little bit lighter than the Tamron, but not by a lot, 30, yeah. 30 grams. Yeah, around 400-something grams. And uh, I mean, what do you think about this focal length for someone who's you know, using their full-frame CV-1? You're looking at that, you know, kind of, you're ultra-wide, right? You're 16 yeah. millimeter. But then it goes all the way into, you know, a 28. Honestly, I think it makes a lot of sense. I feel like this is, this camera is clearly aimed at vlogging Mm -hmm. and you need wide angle for that. Yep, definitely. And so this is going to let you get that wide angle, but then you could punch it in a 28 if you do 1.5 of 28. Like that's almost a 45-ish, 43 millimeters. Like Like, that's pretty good. Um, I bet that's a pretty versatile choice. And there's a lot of crop modes on the ZV-E1 as far as like if you're using stabilization or cutting in, you can crop in pretty tight on that sense. And so, you know, having that extra flexibility to stay wide, pretty good option. Yeah, I think so. All right. Now we're getting into the real stuff. Top five. I got the 20 to 70 from Sony, which is an F4 lens. So it's not as bright as these other ones. And it's 488 grams. So pretty heavy. Four inches long, 72 millimeter filter thread, about $1,000. That is a wide range. 20 to 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wider than their 24 to 70. You save the weight and the size because it's an F4 instead of an F2.8, but you get that extra ultra wide. Pretty good range. Mm-hmm. So I think with a full frame camera, uh, especially one that has the ISO performance of the ZV-E1, this feels like a pretty good option if you want to have a really wide range. And then even yeah. when you get to 70 millimeter, you can zoom that in by 1.5. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can push 100. Mm-hmm. Now that we're getting into something that's 70 millimeters, I have to ask, does this have image stabilization? Uh, that's a good question. I do not think this one has image stabilization. Okay. But the uh, ZV-E1 has IBIS in sure, it. Sure, yeah. So. yeah. so you get something at least. Yeah, I don't think this has image stabilization. Okay. So you're giving something up, but still looks pretty good. I wasn't too worried about looking at um, IS on any of these lenses. I don't think most of them don't have it at all. Because, you know, it's a weight thing, right? Yeah, weight and cost. Yeah, weight and cost. Uh, and then, you know, the ZV-E1 has internal image stabilization. So, yeah. just kind of leaning on that for sure. these. All right, let's get to number four here, which is not listed. I think I skipped four. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking through the list, and I couldn't find it either. Okay, so. this is awkward. Um, yeah. No um, number four. No number we're, four. We're gapping over I all like, those other I ones. Like were, this. were garbage. Yep. They don't even. We didn't. Even, they didn't even deserve to make number four. <laughs> Skipping over it. All right. What's okay. number three? Uh, number three. Number four is actually a sponsor break. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> For all those sponsors, we definitely yep. have on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is the Sony twenty-four millimeter two point eight. What a prime! This high up on that's, the list. It's pretty pretty aggressive. This lens is light, 162 grams. Oh, that is light. It's an f2.8, so not like super fast, but with that you know, slower aperture, you're getting something that has a 49 millimeter filter thread and is less than two inches. Wow. That thing's going to be even with the grip. It's 24 millimeter, so it's going to be pretty rectilinear. And then you can 1.5 it into 36 millimeter. Practically a pancake lens. It's, it's close. That's it's got, full frame. That's got to have a plastic body and stuff, right? Um, I mean, it's $600. I don't... I don't know if it's plastic, but I didn't check that. Yeah, I mean, with it being 162 grams, that's, I'm just thinking that's got to be yeah, plastic be body weight. and smaller. But hey, I mean, you're in for 600 dollars. That's a pretty good, pretty good yeah. option for your ZV-1. And maybe like you get this, and then maybe the number one lens, and you're set. Sure. Honestly, I think this is a little more compelling than some of the other primes that you mentioned. Oh, for you sure. Know, smaller, lighter, cheaper. 
Mm-hmm. That's why it's so high on the list. Yeah. All okay. Right. Number two, the Tamron 20-40 F2.8. The reason this Tamron made it so much higher than the 17-28, to which is a, it's a wider range, uh, but this one has the linear motor, whereas the 17 to 28 has a step motor. Okay, so it's going to autofocus better. Mm, so better autofocus. 20 to 40 is a pretty good range. You're getting that ultra wide, you know, 20 millimeter, and then you go to 40, you can crop in an additional 20 to get to 60. Yeah. I mean, you're basically getting the range of a 24 to 70 or 20 yeah. to 70, mm-hmm. uh, but in a smaller package. Sure. It's 365 grams, and it's uh, three and a half inches. So pretty compact. Pretty good range, yeah. pretty good price. No complaints there, honestly. I mean, you make good arguments for why some of these are higher on the list than some of the lower ones. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like a totally different lens. It's just like a better version of the lens for cheaper. Yep. And then I think that, you know, between one and two, it's kind of a toss up. And that like, if you need something that's faster, if you need an F2.8 zoom, I think this is what you get for the Sony EV, yeah. ZV-E1. It's, it's right there. It's got the linear motor. It's F2.8. 20 to 40 feels perfect mm-hmm. for a vlog lens. I, just, I really like it for this option. Yeah. But number one is the Sony 16 to 35 F4 power zoom. Oh, man. Getting that power zoom. Yeah. I mean, like, you got the zoom switch on your camera. Uh-huh. How is a PZ lens not number one on this list? Yeah. You can Fair enough. Use that thing to zoom all the way in optically before you even zoom in digitally. 16 to 35. You know, it's going to distort a little bit on the wide end, but, you know, 16 to 35 is a pretty good range. It's also frame. like, it's like a classic vlog camera range. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, you know, guys are super ultra wide. Going to 35, you can then can you do that 1.5 crop on top of that. Yeah. It's a 50. So, it's even wider. So, if you need something wider and you need that power zoom, I feel like this is a better buy over the Tamron. But you are sacrificing depth of field. It is an F4 lens. So, you know, at 16 millimeter, at f4, basically everything's going to be in focus. If you need low depth of field for stylistic reasons, then that would be a reason to go f2.8. But if you're just worried about it in terms of being able to get enough light, I really wouldn't be that concerned about it. Because we think that this sensor is either the same or very similar to what's in the a7S3. Mm-hmm. The camera can basically see it in the dark. So yeah. you're, you're really not going to have a problem with that side of Agreed. things. Agreed. I have no, no issue with that f4 from that end. If you need something more creative and on like a creamy depth of field, I mean, I don't even know if you're, maybe you're doing like a tighter lens at that mm-hmm. point, um, which is why like the 20 to 40, 2.8 yeah. maybe makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned it. What was the price on that one? $1,200. Okay. So, so that's all, on the higher end. It's a bit more expensive, but you are getting power zoom for that. It's also a bit bigger. It's got a 72 millimeter filter thread mm-hmm. compared to the 67 on the Tamron. But like, you know, full frame glass, 67, 72, those are pretty much your standard diameters. And then this one's not long. It's uh, three and a half inches long. So about the same length as the 20 to 40 that we were just talking about. It's lighter. 200 and uh sorry 353 grams so lighter than the body of the camera and i wrote down here power zoom baby (laughs) so for that reason it's number one fair enough let's say you were getting this camera you're gonna buy two lenses for it which two on this list do you think you go with is it one and two i am buying the 20 to 40 f 2.8 as my zoom option Mm -hmm. and then i'm probably gonna buy a 35 millimeter prime which isn't listed uh, but I would probably go with like a Sigma 35 millimeter full frame prime okay. at 1.4 because um, I want something that's like super low depth of field. That makes sense. I would have said maybe something similar. That power zoom is really tempting and I would consider it if I was planning on using this as a vlog camera. 
I don't really do vlogging. So for me, I'd probably be looking at that 20 to 40, like you said. Mm -hmm. And then if I was going to get a prime, I would probably want something that's quite a bit more punched in than that. Like I'd be looking for like a 50 or an 85 or something. Yep. Even if it was going to be a bigger lens that I couldn't walk around with, that would just give me something unique and something that I wasn't getting from the 20 to 40. Yeah, no, I get that. And I guess like the 24 does encompass that 35 millimeter focal length. I'm also talking as somebody who really wouldn't be using this camera for the way it's intended, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, for the vlogging use case, I think your list makes a lot of sense. Having like a really wide angle uh, zoom is clearly a good choice. And I would definitely want at least one lens that was really small and compact because that's going to let you use the main advantage of this camera, which is how small it is. Right, exactly. And I don't know, I think that the... I really like that 20 to 40 option. It gets you out the door for less than $3,000 before tax. Yeah. And uh, it's it's I mean, it's pretty versatile. Honestly, you could leave that lens on the camera and barely use anything else. Yeah. I mean, you might notice that the, uh, the kit lens that comes with this thing, not on the list. Awkward. What is the kit lens? I think it's a 16 to 35 F4 to F5.6. Mm, okay. And it's it's pretty small, but... I, I like this 20 to 20 to 40 way more. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think the kit lens is maybe two or 300 bucks. So it's like you're spending another $400 or something on top of the cost of the camera to, you know, improve the kit lens. And I mean, I think, I think it's well worth it to yeah. go with one of these other options. I mean, that, that is the problem here though, is that the, the cheapest lens on your list is $600. That was the Sony 24 mm -hmm. millimeter prime. And I mean, you're already spending $2,200 on your camera. This list that you have, which I agree with, you know, most of these lenses are like, you know, in the $800 range, some of them are $1,000. That's adding quite a bit to your purchase price for the camera. And so if you're if you're looking at buying this camera, you do have to consider that if this is your first Sony camera, if you don't already have lenses you can use, it is going to add quite a bit of cost to get a good lens mm -hmm. that's kind of like a good pairing for how good this camera is. That's that's kind of the curse of buying a really good camera is that you want to get a lens that can really take advantage of it. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm looking at this purchase page and the options that B&H will ship with. I'm obviously looking at the white version of the ZV-E1, which is the best version. And uh, the kit lens is a 28 to 60. Okay, but important question. Is the kit lens also white? No, the kit lens is not white. To total deal breaker. Yeah. Not interested. Deal breaker F4 to F5.6, I believe. But mm. I mean, I don't know. That range is, I don't love that range. Yeah. It's I not mean, wide enough for a vlog camera, in my I opinion. Agree. I would pick one of the choices that you laid yep. out. And it's, um, it ships with a, I think it's $300 ad to get that. Nope. Yeah. $300 ad to get that lens. So okay. you take that out. I mean, you're spending an extra 400 bucks to get the 2040 if you're going with that option. The other ones that they will ship with it are all Sony. And so you can also get the 20 F1.8, which was on my list. You can get the 16 to 35 also on the list. And then uh, the 20 to 70 is on this list as well as far as, uh, you know, options that you can get as a kit. But they're not really much cheaper. They're basically the cost of the lens. So. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I don't know. Interesting. I mean, there's it, it doesn't surprise me that there's like no shortage of Sony options here, but they're all expensive, you know, and, and yep. you're spending a lot of money to get into this camera. But also like this is my argument that I've had about the whole Canon situation, which is if you're buying Canon lenses at on RF, you're spending fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars on a lens or two thousand to three thousand dollars on a lens. I don't even think they have fifteen hundred dollar lenses, uh, maybe a twenty four prime or something. 
or you're spending like 600 or less yeah. and you're getting those like 200 to 600 lenses which are you know they're just they're cheaper and like at that point you're you're making cuts and changing things in order to like get in that price point and for canon there's just this dearth of lenses between 600 and 1500 which for me is like the sweet spot where you're buying something that's pretty good for basically what you, anything you're going to use and if you need something that's like super pro level you're going to spend the extra $2,000 on that lens in order to get like the best, best, best version. Yeah. And that's why I kind of gravitated towards all these options was like, if you want the cheap option, if you want to spend 300 bucks, get the kit lens. It's going to be fine. But if you're looking for something better, you want to spend like a little more, you're already spending $2,200 on this camera. If you're What's gonna, another thousand? Well, like if you're going to get one lens and that's the lens that's going to live on the thing, spend an extra $500 and get a good lens that's going to hold up. Yeah. And I mean, that's why that's why I was kind of focusing on this like six hundred dollars or a thousand range because I feel like that's the sweet spot on sure. finding the lens that's like eighty percent there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that logic. I think that makes sense. And if you can get a good lens for under a thousand dollars, that's generally a win. I mean, lenses are expensive. Yep, exactly. Cool. That's it. Sounds good. Okay, I got more lens stuff for no, you. No, more lenses. Sigma announced some new lenses. Are you familiar with their sixteen millimeter? 35 millimeter and 56 millimeter primes. I think I've seen those numbers around here and there. Yep. Uh, they basically make them for every camera mount. Yeah. Uh, like XF, L. They're APS-C lenses, but mm -hmm. they make them for everything. Okay. EF. They released them again for another camera mount. <laughs> of course they did. I want you to guess what camera mount they released them for. Now, Lucas, I don't have to guess because I've got my finger on the pulse of the camera market and I'm tracking all the top brands. I know what they're all <laughs> releasing. So I know the answer to this is that they released them for the Nikon Z mount. Nikon <laughs> That's right. They released them for Nikon, which means that you can put them on your ZFC that you just bought that yes. is teal. Yes. And now you can get this sweet 35 millimeter. No, it's 30. 30 millimeter F1.4 prime. You could buy all three for a thousand yeah. bucks. It's a good set of primes. Sure would be nice to be able to put them on your R10, but you can't because Canon won't let you. You're just gonna you're just gonna have to buy the Sony instead. Sorry, the Nikon instead. Slip of the tongue. I meant Nikon. <laughs> easy, Sorry, everybody. Easy mistake. You know, we had that one Sony cast recently, and then now here we're going oh, yeah, down the rabbit geez. hole. Jeez. Oh boy. Yeah. Isn't slippery slippery slope. I've generally been pretty impressed with Sigma lenses. The ones that I've used have been well constructed and I feel like they have good quality. And it just seems like they give you a good lens for a cheap price. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if I was shooting Nikon, I would definitely consider this. Yeah, I mean, we both, I think you still own it, but we both own that 30 millimeter 1.4. Yeah. And it's a really good lens. I mean, it's clean. It's sharp. You know, it's not the perfect for chromatic aberration, but honestly, it's better than the 23 1.4 that I replaced it with. And the value is just incredible on the yeah. lenses. Oh my so gosh. Cheap. They're so cheap. Yep. I paid full price for mine when I bought it, like 400 bucks or 300 something bucks. Yeah. And now that lens is like, 250 yeah, 300 I, I got it for cheap. 250 I think. Golly, it makes me so mad because yeah. it's like almost always on sale. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anyone's getting a photography and you're like, I just need a few primes. I need like a 56 and a 16 and you're an APS-C. Get these lenses. They're good. You happen to know what these cost? Uh, I didn't look it up. They're basically going to be the same price though. You know, the 16's going to be around $400. The 56 is going to be kind of the same, you know, 350 yeah. 400 something like that. Okay. They're right around that price point. Watch for sales because these things are always going on sale. Don't sure. spend $400 on these lenses. Yeah. Spend $250, that yep. kind of thing. That makes sense. They announced, announced a few other things. They announced a 50 millimeter F2, which is going to be for L, E, and uh, that's it. Yeah, so if it's full-frame lens, Sony, or your uh, S5 Mark II. And then they released a, oh, where's my list? Okay, a 17 millimeter F4, which is interesting. 
ultra wide f4 and that's for uh also l and e and then they released one APS-C lens, which is the 23 millimeter 1.4. And that was the missing one for that series. They had the 16, the 35, and the 56. Uh, they're adding that APS-C lens right in the middle, that 23 millimeter, which is a pretty great focal length, in my opinion. I know that uh, certain people from uh, certain YouTube channels would strongly disagree with me, <laughs> but I like it. And that one is for Fuji, Fujicast, but also for LE and uh, everything else. Of course. So, yeah, the, the whole the whole set. Yeah, I don't think they announced that one specifically for Nikon, oddly enough. They released everything else for Nikon, but I don't think they released this one for Nikon. I think at this point it's just L, E, and XF. Interesting. Which is kind of frustrating in that they brought the other ones over. You know, it'd be nice to see that one. I was going to say the nice thing about this one is it has an aperture on it, but it does not. That's always been the frustrating thing. And kind of one of the reasons why I got rid of my 30mm was it doesn't have the aperture ring, and that's kind of a big deal for Fuji shooters. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest problem with buying third party Fuji lenses is you just don't get that aperture ring, so you're you're having to dedicate another control in your camera to aperture. Yeah, that, that control dot wasn't doing anything anyway because I won't let you set it to ISO. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's fair. Yep. Because I, when I use the XH2S, I find myself not using the physical aperture ring because not all my lenses have it, and so I'm not in the habit of using it. Yeah, I hate having to switch like like where is where is my head at when I'm shooting, and I don't want to have to like. Re- reach for the aperture ring and not be there and yeah. then go for the wheel or vice versa. And it's like, I just be consistent. Let's have all of, all of one kind. So that is the trade-off you make with these uh, yeah. Sigma and Tamron lenses. And maybe one day they'll release ones with aperture rings, but... I mean, it's just hit and miss, right? So like the Viltrox 13 millimeter 1.4, which is an incredible ultra-wide zoom, oh, that's right, Prime, geez, ultra-wide Prime for XF, if you're looking for one. It has a it has an aperture ring okay. on it. So it's not like a, you know, mutually exclusive that like every third party doesn't have it. And... I mean, that, that Viltrox 13.14, Fuji doesn't even make anything like that. They're the only ones who have that on XF at that focal length at that aperture. Hmm. So, and it's a good lens. Yeah. Anywho, that's it. Those are the Sigma announcements. We covered everything on the lenses for Sony. And we have talked about a lot of lenses. <sighs> yep. It's just uh, a, lot. a lot of glass. Yeah. No kidding. Well, let's talk about something different, kind of. Not really, because... I added this topic on the thing, and I didn't realize we were going to spend so much time talking about the ZV-E1. <laughs> so let's talk about it some more. Let's just have ZV-1, ZV-E1 Spectacular Part 2. Oh, boy. That's basically what this feels like. <laughs> this is kind of about that, but it's not only about that. I feel like I've noticed some products recently that are AI-oriented, I guess. And I'm not talking about stuff like mid-journey and stable diffusion. I mean, we've all seen like the AI image generation stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But there have been multiple cameras and camera accessories lately that have had AI assist features. So a few examples I can think of. One is obviously the Sony ZV-E1 that we talked about recently, where it's got things like the clear image zoom that zooms in. That's really just cropping, but it can do smart framing where it'll crop in and it'll follow you around in the frame. It can determine like which person to track if you have multiple people and like all the face recognition stuff. Yeah, and, and it, it can change the aperture if there's multiple people in the shot. It can detect a bunch of different scenes and change the settings for that. So it has a bunch of AI features. There's also another product that came out that we haven't really talked about called the Insta360. 60 flow have you seen anything on that one yet i mean i've seen a lot of the insta 360 stuff which one's okay, the flow so this is a smartphone gimbal that they came out with recently oh is that the one that uh potato jet yeah kind of did his video on in his bathroom yeah he made a video on it in his bathroom it's not as weird as it sounds 
And Jesse Driftwood also did a video on it. And basically, this is a smartphone gimbal that's supposed to be really easy to use. You can put your phone in it, but it has some AI type assist features. So it can follow you around like it can actually turn the gimbal and follow you with the phone camera. But another thing that I thought was really cool is that their app has some things where it can kind of like guide you through making a video. So you could pick something that you wanted to do. You could say like, I want to make a cooking video. And the app will kind of guide you through like different types of shots to get. And it'll say, you know, start with like a wide establishing shot that slowly moves toward the subject, you know, and like you can hit a button and take that shot and then review it and like retake it or move on to the next one. Like it just guides you through the whole process. And, you know, if you're not a creative person at all, it'll help you make a video. Does it output the video when you're done? Yeah. What? Yeah. And it just takes all those shots and puts them together and gives, Love you, it. gives you a video. Super cool. When I was thinking about this, I was trying to think, you know, what, what other things are there like that? And another one that we've known about for years now is like the master shots thing on DJI drones. So, you know, we both have drones and fly them and you can get all these shots manually yourself, but they also have a feature where you can say, make me something cool. And it'll basically fly itself around for a while and get some different types of canned shots, you know, and like you can take those and turn them into a video and like, you don't have to do all those movements yourself. So it's doing it for you. And this just seems like a new trend to me where we're getting cameras that help you make better videos and they help you pick what settings to use or they suggest like types of shots you might want to get. And I think that's interesting. And I think we should talk about it. Do you think a lot of this stems from the smartphone industry and like trying to differentiate from phone cameras? I think some of it is that maybe. And I've seen a couple of things recently where I think people are starting to realize that there's still a place for phone cameras just in terms of quality. So I, I think that there may be you know, kind of a growing desire to separate those two. But honestly, most of what I think it is, is that video is so prevalent now, you know, like with TikTok and YouTube. I mean, it just seems like it's become more and more democratized, like it's been easier for people to make videos and and more people are interested in doing it. And I feel like this is just a way to make it to lower the barrier to entry. So you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to listen to this podcast to uh, to make a good video. Do you think that's going to create like a... I don't like like a like a separation between people who are trying to like are skilled videographers or cinematographers and they're trying to separate themselves as far as their content and their professional ability and like this is why you should pay me to do this thing or this is what I can make and then separate from that are all of these AI guided methods and then people will they're like oh that's uh that looks cheap because it's it's the way that the oh they're cutting it together in this you know way that the AI told them to do it or, or that sort yeah. of thing. Well, that's kind of what I wonder about. So for one thing, there's the question of can you tell the difference? You know, is there mm-hmm. is there a tangible difference between those things? We feel like we can tell the difference between the image from a real camera and an image from a smartphone. You know, if you zoom in, you can yeah, you can tell it's in the detail. For now, I don't know if it's always going to be that yeah. way. And it's the same with this AI stuff. You know, maybe right now I can tell. You know, oh that that's. You know, they're using that Insta360 thing. You could tell because it always has the same sequence of shots. Like maybe there's things like that. But this technology is just going to get better and better. Where I want to see this go is kind of what we're seeing a lot with the like the chat GPT stuff where it's like, wow, this is really good at, you know, doing a lot of the base level work of like setting up this document or writing this code or that sort of thing. I mean, our last episode, I was like, here's our rundown. Make show notes for me. And ChatGPT like did a base outline and then I was able to edit and then, you know, yeah. it saved me like 15 minutes or something like that. And it's like, 
it didn't do it for me, but I use it as a tool to do this thing. And what I'm seeing out of like the ZBE one is sure. There's a lot of stuff like the cinematic mode and these things that feel kind of cheesy and kind of like, Oh, well that's for noobs. But realistically it's like, actually, if I can use this feature, this will save me time. And like, sure, I know what I'm doing, but I can use these tools and use this AI stuff to make my workflow easier. And then I can spend more time on other things that would improve the quality and the production value of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so it allows us to like shift our time and you can like leverage those things to do an even better job. And that's kind of where I want to see all this go. I'm like, yeah, great. You know, stick AI in these super expensive cameras because it's going to make it better. And I also want wonder it's going to be a thing where like there's kind of some elitism to it you know like people that do know how to do this stuff people like us that understand how to set up their camera i wonder if there's going to be kind of like a little bit of elitism between that and people who are using ai to do this stuff like maybe there's some legitimate differences between the product you can get but i also wonder if people are going to look down on that or you know or how that's going to go it's going to be kind of hard like there's always going to be growing pains of oh well like i know actually know how to do that versus the ai and i can always do it better than the robots or whatever i mean we're just going to have to work through it and people are going to learn to leverage it it makes me think a lot about and this isn't a direct comparison but the whole authenticity look of like commercial advertisement and YouTube. And so like whenever a brand comes to like Logan Paul or something and they're like, hey, we want you to advertise this thing. I mean, he's like, oh, I'm going to hold this camera up here and I'm just going to like talk to it and talk about this thing. It's not this whole like big commercial brand where they're like, we're going to bring you in. We're going to do all this CGI stuff and graphics and like this huge professional shoot. It's like people see that as, you know, this is produced and fake versus, you know, the real realistic realism of, you know, I'm just talking to a camera. And I feel like, you know, for the AI stuff, I wonder, is it going to get us to a point where things get too produced? Yeah. And then, you know, what's real versus what's built with all this AI tool? Yeah. And like kind of related to that, I was thinking, you know, when you buy a cinema camera, you don't want it to have IBIS and you don't right. you don't really care if it has autofocus because those are things that you're not going to use when you're doing cinema work. I wonder if this is going to be the same thing where, you know, there's there's jobs you don't want to use this stuff for because it, it adds a certain look that you don't want. I don't know. Right. If the whole deal that you're like what you're doing is making those creative decisions and if you need to be able to make every single decision in the process of like making a film or whatever, then AI is just not going to be the right choice. Yeah. But if you know that like the creative decision is I need to do this tracking shot and I don't have to hire a huge crew to do it because Mm -hmm. now I have this built in. I mean, shoot, that's going to be great. Yeah. But I I feel like it's just going to be both. I don't know if we're actually going to see a situation where like every cinema lens now has like motors built into it. I think there was always going to be the analog version. You know, it always feels like with this AI stuff, there's kind of two viewpoints. There's like the dystopian view and the utopian view. And mm-hmm. so the dystopian view is the like, you know, AI is going to enslave humanity and, and all that. Well, and obviously. I, yes. I think that with this stuff, the dystopian view would be that every camera is going to have this in the future. You won't be able to turn it off. And we're just all going to be stuck with these overproduced fake videos. No videographer is going to have a job anymore. But mm-hmm. You're just going to be able to pick up a camera and it's going to do everything for you. Yeah. That feels like the absolute worst case scenario. On the other hand, it feels like the best case scenario is if these features just get better and better and there are things that you can turn on and off. And like you said, if it's like a tool you can use rather than it necessarily replacing what you do. If your camera can suggest settings to you, that sounds great. If I can change my mind later and say, you know, I I hear your suggestion, but instead I want to do it this other way, then cool. We've talked on this podcast multiple times about how annoyed we are that the Fuji X-H2S has like a zillion bitrate and codec options. Mm -hmm. 
if my camera could tell me, you know, hey, for all the settings you have selected, this is what we think you should use for the bitrate. I'd be like, great, let's use that. That sounds perfect. Yeah, it saves you that mental energy and like having to know all this information. Mm-hmm. I like knowing all the specific stuff, but I feel like the possibility exists here for this AI stuff to democratize a lot of creation for yeah. like video content. And I mean, if you can, oh, I'm going to shoot a short film and now I don't have to invest like a billion dollars in all this stuff yeah. or I can cut my crew by three people or something. Mm-hmm. And like all of a sudden you're able to make this movie that, couldn't have done in like 1980 because you couldn't afford like the super eight stuff or you didn't know how to use it or whatever. And so I feel like that's an opportunity that's potentially coming with this. I think that's a, that's an optimistic viewpoint. And I I think we will see it making things easier. You know, I don't know how far it can go, but last question on this. Do you have a feature in mind that you would like to see cameras do in this realm of like AI or smarts? Um, So I've got one. Okay. I'll I'll tell you what it is. Maybe, maybe you'll think of something. Okay. So here's what I want to see. I've got these aperture lights that use the Citus Link app to adjust brightness and power, you know, and co- color and all that. I want something where I can set up an interview shot and have my camera communicate with the lights and have the camera just like look at its exposure and figure and I can tell it like I want this to be like dark and moody or I want this bright or whatever and have it just adjust the lights for me to get that effect. I think that'd be super cool. That'd be neat. That'd be a cool feature. It doesn't sound that hard either. I mean, like, you know, it requires these companies to like work together in some way, but it should be possible. I want like the AI noise cancellation ability from DaVinci Resolve to be baked into my Zoom recorder. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Be pretty sweet. Yeah. I was thinking about sound stuff a little bit too, because that's one thing where, you know, if you're doing like a big production, got to have a sound guy and he's got to have his boom and, you know, be standing there to capture yep. the shot. And it's like, that's a whole nother person that you have to pay for and they've got to take up space, you know, on your set and all that. And I mean, love that. Like the sound guy we worked with was great. Does a really good job. It'd be super cool if there was a lower budget way to do that. It'd be super cool if I could get rid of that guy's yeah. job and replace yeah. it with AI. <laughs> Jeez, Daniel. It's not, it's not my job. But I'm just saying. It's not the, like he's a cinematographer. Like the uh, 32-bit float, you know, kind of feels like a step in that direction where mm-hmm. maybe you don't care about levels quite as much. But I don't know what's possible in that in that regard, but it'd be cool. Something, some sort of like AI, whatever. I mean, like the ZVE one is doing as far as are we capturing forward or backwards? Yeah. I mean, something like that where it's just a point and shoot deal, but now it's doing like noise cancellation. And obviously when it comes to audio, you're way more constrained as far as physics. I guess it's not way more lenses and lighting and all that stuff. But I mean, you need those diaphragms. You need things to be of a certain size in order to get like full volume and all this stuff. Yeah. It's like you can only do so much with like a tiny little microphone and AI sound stuff and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like we still haven't seen the full potential of it. Yeah. And I think something like the on-camera mic for the ZBE one could be way better. I think so, too. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, like, the possibilities sure. are there. It's kind of bad. Is know. it bad? It I don't, It seems, like, okay. It seems you know? okay, but... There's no, like, DJI, uh, yeah. you know, lapel mic or whatever, yeah. but yeah. what are you going to do? I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of potential here. It has felt to me, like, for a long time, the hardware and cameras, like, in terms of the electronics and the smarts and the UI and all that has felt like it's very behind, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I compare what's in my smartphone and how that 
UI looks and what that can do compared to what's in a camera. And it honestly feels like cameras are like archaic compared to that. Right. And I don't want my camera to do everything for me and not let me change settings. But it just seems like there's a lot of potential to add more of these smarts in there and make things easier. Or like you said, make things possible that weren't possible before. What if uh, you could connect your Fuji camera to the internet and then you could just tell it a film simulation and then it could use all like the internet's images of that film stock and then make a film simulation custom for you on the camera. So, so it doesn't go quite that far, but I think it might've been chat GPT yeah. understands what film simulations are. And I think it can, I think it can create them. Oh yeah. People have been doing that. They're like, what yeah. settings should I use to do this thing? And like, I mean the, whatever the Fuji color passion pro, whatever website, what is that website? Let me get it right. Uh, is it Fuji X weekly? Is that, is that the one? I think that's right. It's film simulations. I think it's, yeah, it's Fuji X weekly. Yep. Um, so like they have all those simulations in there and all this stuff. I mean, you point chat GPT at that and it can figure it out. Yeah. So we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. I mean, that'd be, uh, that'd be a pretty insane feature. Like, oh, yeah. Hey, uh, Fuji camera, just uh, pull up uh, pull up Eastman for me. Thanks. Yeah. Well, can so, I get Porta 400, please? I mean, you know, since we already got rid of our sound guy's job, let's get rid of your job next. I mean, what if like for color grading, like what if the camera had features in it somehow where you could say, hey, I really like this look. Like, here's a shot from a movie. I mean, you could point the camera at that picture, take yeah. a picture of it, and it's like, boom. Yeah, you could say like, I, I kind of want these tones. I kind of want it to have this feel. And the camera could figure out what it needs to do to produce that image. You know, like oh, it, could, it could generate yeah. a lot and do that. Like, it's, it's all possible. It's just a matter of getting there. Good thing Fuji's listening. You know, they're a dedicated, you know, sampler of our podcast. Yes, obviously. Yep. So I uh, expect that in the XH3S. Oh, that that's aggressive. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it'll be that soon. <laughs> Calling it now. <laughs> Chat TPT film simulations, XH3S. Uh, yes. Yes. We, we've officially <laughs> left the realm of reality here. Oh, well. On that exciting note, do you have anything else for us today? No, that's it. Yeah, I think we've just about covered it. So We could talk about more lenses if you want. No, no. I think we've covered enough lenses. And if you're somebody who's interested in the ZV-E1, the last couple of episodes of this podcast have been really, really great for you. A lot, um, of, a yeah. lot of Sony talk. We should probably loop back to some more respected camera bands like <laughs> Nikon and uh, Fuji. Yeah. Pentax. Yes, you know. Pentax. Yeah. And a lot of people out there shooting on Pentax. You know, I saw a rumor recently about a potential new Pentax camera. Interesting. Which reminds me of a joke about how Pentax outlasted DP review. Uh, that's too soon. <laughs> that is that is far too soon. Also saw a rumor. This isn't even what we're talking about. Uh, Nikon might be coming out with a medium format camera. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. GFX finally getting some competition. Watch out. Okay. Nikon coming for you. <laughs> That's what everybody's always saying. Nikon's yep. coming for them. Just, just right back there creeping. Yep. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to call it there. Cool. That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening. And we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.